Amen. Thank you for uh, that singing and for the invite again to bring forth God's precious word. It is a joy uh, to be with you here tonight as always and I do uh, continue to remember uh, certainly Mr and Mrs Toms at this time. I wanted to be here tonight uh, to congratulate them on their recent uh, anniversary and so we rejoice for God's hand being upon them these many many years but I'm sure that you can pass on anyway next time you see them but glad to be here to bring forth God's precious word if you can turn again God's word to Zechariah chapter 3 Zechariah chapter 3 I'll just read first 1 down to first 4 uh, we'll cover a bit more obviously later on but just for now anyway uh, verses 1 down to verse 4 and the word of God says he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him and the Lord said on to Satan the Lord rebuke thee O Satan even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake on to those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass before thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. Amen. We know the Lord will have his blessing to the reading of his word. We'll just unite together in prayer and still our hearts at the throne of grace. Our Heavenly Father and Eternal God, we want to thank thee, O God, that we can say as we sung already, Lord, thou art worthy. We thank thee for the one who has redeemed us with his own precious blood. We thank thee for the Lord Jesus Christ, who came into this world to give that perfect obedience to God the Father. We thank you God that upon this earth he lived that perfect life. And he offered up that life an atonement for sin. And Father we thank thee not only did he die. But Father we praise thee his very resurrection. Guarantees O God that his work was accepted. And Father we praise thee O God for one who lived for us. One who died for us. One who rose for us. And Father we praise thee one who will come back again for his people and father we praise thee that we will be ever with the saviour we ask of thee O god just now that thou wilt cleanse us beneath the precious blood fill us with the holy ghost and with power stand beside the preacher tonight he needs thy help confess O god without thee the preacher can do nothing and father we pray for each and every one who would sit on the seat lord we pray by thy spirit thou wilt come and May we leave this place tonight saying, It was good to have been here, for here we met afresh with thee. Guide us now, we ask of thee in Jesus' name. Amen. The words before us in Zechariah chapter 3 have both a historical setting and also a future significance. Historical in relation to the time of writing, but also a prophecy and a promise concerning future events when the Lord Jesus Christ will return. At the time of writing these words in their historical setting, related to the time of the Babylonian return or the return from captivity. 
a return to rebuild the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. And we know as we read other books that rebuilding had stopped for a period of 16 years due to opposition and due to backsliding. God raised up Zechariah and others to call the people back to God's work. And again there's more details in the book of Ezra and the book of Haggai. But certainly there's a lesson for our hearts to the preacher comes and brings the message of God to stir us up again to return to the work of God. And I pray even for us here as we leave this place we'll go back again uh, endued with power from on high to return again to the work of God where we are. But also uh, there is uh, many, many more lessons we look at in a minute. Now before we go to the future uh, part of this section, let me just say at the very, very outset, answering a question that is often asked, and one that I was asked last week. Is Joshua here in Zechariah chapter 3 the same Joshua as in Moses' day? A sincere question may be. I don't know if you ever thought about that. Maybe you already have it in your mind. You know the answer. But no doubt there are commentaries when you read this chapter. Uh, they go into detail to explain certain things. And people have questions. Well, let me just put uh, you right, uh, as you'll agree with me, no doubt, and scripture. Uh, that the Joshua in Zechariah chapter 3 is not the same Joshua in the book of Joshua in Moses' time who led the children of Israel into the land. And I just say that because maybe there's some here who wonder maybe are they the same person said. I was asked that last week. Someone thought they were the same person when they heard I was preaching on Zechariah chapter 3. And so I'm just saying uh, now before you that it's not the same person. And we can see that because Joshua in his own book is called Joshua the son of Nun, whereas Joshua here uh, is the high priest and he's called that on many occasions and also uh, in the book of Ezra. Furthermore, the Joshua in Moses' day is from the tribe Ephraim. You read that in Numbers chapter 13, verse 8. Whereas Joshua the high priest uh, here in Zechariah's time is from the tribe of Levi. And Levi is that priestly tribe, and we learn that even from his own father's background in First Chronicles chapter 16, verses 1 to 15, and other verses as well. Joshua in Moses' day is the leader of the nation, whereas Joshua in Zechariah's day is the high priest of the nation. Also as well, uh, many years have passed between the two. Joshua in the days of Moses, that is before the time of captivity. Whereas Joshua the high priest in Zechariah's day, that is after the Babylonian captivity. So hopefully those things have uh, settled the matter for you and we're on the same page with regards to those things. But as we come here, as we said in this book, uh, there is the historical setting, but there is also then in this the prophetic uh, lessons the future promise God raised up Zechariah and gave him visions, prophecies relating to the nation of Israel at the time of the Lord's return 
Now remember a vision is different from a dream. You read scripture of God revealing his word through dreams when someone was sleeping. But here we learn that these visions, these prophecies, they come while Zechariah is awake. And in chapter 3, the prophecy can be summed up really in the first at first. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. The vision in this chapter deals with the cleansing of the nation of Israel at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is symbolized here by the cleansing of Joshua, the high priest. We read there of obviously Joshua. And then again in verse 2 we read the words, The Lord hath chosen Jerusalem. And so it's clear from this passage, uh, this prophecy, that Joshua represents more than just himself. He represents symbolically of the nation of Israel. And so God is showing that he has not finished, just as he had not finished with Joshua in service, so he has not finished with his people Israel. There's still a plan for God's ancient people. There's still a purpose for Israel relating to Christ's return. And while we said there are many ways that you can take this passage in the historical setting, uh, also the, the future setting, but there is also way of spiritual application to the people of God. We who are cleansed, redeemed by the precious blood because there's lessons there practical for our life as we learn here, as we'll go through uh, together. But notice some simple thoughts. Uh, and as I said, uh, you could preach a very, very long time on these words, this chapter. It may only seem small, ten verses, but you could spend maybe a lot, a lot of weeks going through uh, first by first. We're not go- able to go through everything, but we'll try and highlight uh, some thoughts. But notice, first of all, Joshua's adversary. We read in verse 1, And he showed me Joshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. Here we have Joshua's adversary. The adversary is Satan. The word Satan as you have before you is the word meaning adversary. It is the word slander, the word resister or the word opposer. And so you could read it these way, you could read the verse this way, the adversary Standing at his right hand to be his adversary. You could read it this way. Satan standing at his right hand to Satan him. You could read it. There is sister standing at his right hand to oppose him or to resist him. Because that is the strength of this word. He showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan, the opposer, the resister, the accuser, standing at his right hand to resist him, oppose him, uh, accuse him. So that's the strength of the word. Joshua has an enemy, one who is out to slander the people of God, those who are redeemed, chosen of the Lord, but also as well to uh, slander the work of God. And so by way of application, we ought to learn that we have an enemy. Our arch enemy is Satan. 
And this enemy is real. Full of pride. And therefore he slanders you daily before the throne of God. Notice the three simple thoughts under this. The place of the adversary's uh, resistance. The place of it. Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. The enemy's resistance takes place in the presence of Christ. At the place of intercession. Standing before the angel of the Lord. And again here we have this phrase, the angel of the Lord. It is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ in his pre-incarnate form. Known in the Old Testament before the incarnation as a Christophany. And so that's where you have this phrase, the angel of the Lord. The appearance of Christ before his birth here in the Old Testament. And we read those words that Joshua, uh, uh, we read the words Joshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. That phrase standing before is a very, very important phrase. Let nothing in this chapter just pass you by. Don't read it so quickly that you just take the words just, uh, just going past it. Take time. Stop. Uh, apply the highway code. Stop. Look and listen. And that's what we ought to do when we come to God's word. Stop. Look. Listen. Research. The word standing before literally means or signifies to be in the presence of Joshua. In the presence of the Lord. Standing before the angel of the Lord. And this phrase is used of the priestly function. That's why we have Joshua. Because he is the high priest. And so he's standing before the Lord. He's standing in the presence of the Lord. There to minister. There to serve the Lord on behalf of the people. Again we see this in Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 8. And also Second Chronicles chapter 29 verse 11. Many more verses as well. But it says there in Second Chronicles Chapter 29 verse 11. The Lord hath chosen you, referring to the high priest, to stand before him, to serve him, that ye should minister unto him and burn incense. So there we have the word, the Lord's chosen you to stand before him, to serve him. And so the ministry of the high priest was to serve, was to pray, to intercede. In the presence of God on behalf of the people. The high priest brought the people into the presence of God by praying for them. Remember the high priest, those garments that he wore. They had the very names of the tribes of Israel. And so as the priest went in to intercede for the people. He did so with the names of the people of God, the tribes of Israel upon his heart. On his shoulders, on his breastplate, to bring them into the presence of God. And so, whenever the high priest went into the presence of God, he represented the people. He prayed on behalf of them, as Christ, who is our great high priest, who now is in heaven, praying for us. His very presence in heaven is an act of intercession. Not ought to thrill our hearts to note that we have one within the field. Our Saviour right now is praying for you. Your Saviour right now is there in glory making intercession. And here 
as the high priest would enter into the presence of God and offer prayer for the nation. He did so on the basis of a blood sacrifice accepted by God. He did so on the ground of atonement and the cleansing blood just as Christ our Saviour has entered into heaven with his own blood and prays for his people on the ground of his own blood. So the high priest, uh, Joshua, the high priest, his, he is to minister, to serve, to pray, and he does so by faith on the merit of Christ's own work. And so as Joshua is standing before the angel of the Lord, this high priest who has this role to serve, to represent the people, we have Satan's accusation, his adversary. And the, the accusation from the adversary is that Joshua is not fit to serve as high priest. He is unworthy to stand before the Saviour. He's not fit to pray because he is filthy. His garments are filthy and we'll get to that a bit later. And therefore, child of God, there certainly is a lesson here, not only referring to the future of Israel, because Satan is giving accusation uh, to God that Israel should be cast away. They should be cast aside, and we'll get to that again a bit later. And therefore, child of God, as we come, and as we serve the Lord in prayer, and as we enter into the presence of the Lord daily, we do so on the ground of the sinless person and the sinless blood of Jesus Christ. As we pray upon the ground of the impeccability of Christ, as we pray upon Christ's own precious blood, we are resisted, we are opposed, we are tempted not to pray. The accusation is, you are not fit to pray. You are unfit to serve. And therefore best not to do anything. Best not to pray at all. That's why prayer meetings. Uh, and that's the accusation by the way. I'm not saying you not to pray. That's the accusation. Uh, that's why prayer meetings are so challenging. That's why people say the hardest thing to do in the Christian life is to pray. Because every time you come to pray. You come to serve. You come to stand before the Lord. Whenever we enter into the Lord's presence on the ground of the blood, we are opposed. We are resisted in our praying. We are tempted not to pray, to give up, not to say any more. That's why the prayer meeting is the least most attended uh, meeting in the church. Because there's so much opposition, opposition, resistance, not to turn up to the prayer meeting. Opposition when you go to pray, to stop praying, to give up. Because the accusation is, you're not fit to serve. You're not fit to pray. There's no point opening your mouth. You're just a sinner, filthy. And therefore, better just to be cast aside, that the Lord better just be, do away with you. And so we have one who opposes us. And the reason why, the Lord, the devil is opposing Joshua and again symbolizing the nation and also by application to our own hearts. The reason why there's this opposition, this resistance, because the devil resisted Christ himself. He opposed Christ himself in prayer. Remember, 
Christ prayed on the cross. When he prayed in the garden, he prayed on the cross. And he was opposed. Again, there was that temptation to come down from the cross. Save yourself. However, he stayed on the cross to pray for sinners he came to save. He stayed on the cross to complete his work. That's why he could say, it is finished. That's why we read on this chapter at the end, when the Lord will forgive the nation of their sin, because he finished the work. He defeated the wicked one. That's why you're saved today. You're redeemed by blood, because Christ finished the work. Uh, A victorious Christ is able to save. A victorious Christ is able to redeem. But one who fails, one who did not finish the work, cannot redeem, cannot save. And that's the whole point when we'll get to this exciting chapter. The Lord won't throw Joshua away. And he won't cast the nation away. And he won't cast you away. Because he finished the work. You see this whole chapter. It all signifies upon the work of Christ. Upon the ground of redemption. And that's what's being attacked here. And so the very place uh, that is being attacked. It is the place of prayer. The place of uh, intercession. At the throne of God. Where Joshua is standing there as the high priest. Who would enter into the presence of God. And so as you pray and you enter into the presence of God on the ground of Christ's atonement, you will be resisted. You will be opposed. But notice also the pivotal of the adversary's resistance. Since Joshua is the high priest, then it was the high priest and the office and the function that is resisted and opposed. Remember, the priestly ministry within Israel was the central means of representing God's covenant of grace in those times uh, Joshua and Zechariah lived. Remember again the the temple that is being rebuilt. And whenever it was rebuilt we learn in Ezra chapter 3 verses 1 through 3 that one of the first things to be set up was the altar the uh, the restoration of sacrifices why because in the old testament there was the picture type of the sacrifices though those sacrifices could never take away sin but they were object lessons they were symbolic to show that the offering that would be presented would be perfect one that had been examined one that was without fault without spot without blemish had to be the best animal. And as it was presented, its blood was shed. And it was presented on the sacrifice, on the altar of sacrifice uh, before God. And it was accepted. And the whole point was to teach the Lord Jesus Christ is that perfect sacrifice. His life was examined by man and examined by God. This man did no sin. And therefore, because he is the sinless one, the perfect one, he could offer up himself a sacrifice for sin, for uh, the sins of all his people. And his sacrifice was accepted. And so the whole priestly function centers upon the shedding of precious blood. And it's that blood whenever the priest would pray. The priest would pray on the ground 
of the shedding of precious blood. As the priest served God, as the priest brought the blood, as the priest prayed, he exalted Christ's righteous person and his redeeming work, the blood that covers over sin. Therefore, the devil will always attack the centrality of the gospel. He will always resist how God cleanses his people because the devil hates the blood. He is defeated and doomed by the blood. His destruction is sealed where he will be cast into the lake of fire. But until that time, I tell you, he is not bound. Rather, he is as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeketh whom he may devour. And that word devour means to chew and to spit out, to make uh, something unrecognisable. Again, you use the illustration of food. And if you were to eat food, uh, well, take something simple, because I don't want to, if anybody's a vegetarian, I don't want to put anybody off in that sense. But if you were to take a banana, an apple, or something like that there, and you can see it, there's your apple, there's your banana, uh, there's whatever it may be, you can identify each piece. But if you were to put it in your mouth all at one time, chew it all up, and spit it back out, you wouldn't recognise it. Well, where's the banana? Well, there's just some sort of a shape, what it might have looked like. And that's the whole point here. The devil is out to ruin your life. To make you unrecognisable in the service of God. There is one who used to attend the house of God. There is one who used to pray. There is one who used to be a leader there in the work of God. But now they're unrecognisable. Now you wouldn't even know them. And so the devil will always oppose and resist. Because he's always against how God redeem sinners through the blood of his beloved son there's only one way whereby God will ever cleanse his people only one way whereby God will save sinners and it is by faith in the blood sacrifice of his beloved son Christ's blood is impeccable imperishable, incorruptible and indestructible there's power in Christ's blood to cover sin. And so the point is this. Satan resists, opposes Joshua's position as high priest. And his prayers as the high priest. Because those prayers are offered up on the basis of the cleansing, covering and conquering blood. That God forgives his people. And so uh, Satan wants to hinder God's people. He wants to keep them from serving, from praying on the ground of the blood. And so he will resist. He will oppose the work of God. Again, there's also the purpose of of the adversary's resistance. The purpose of the adversary's resistance is to accuse God's people of their sin, their unworthiness, unfit to serve, unable to pray, and they should be cast away. Joshua is being opposed, resisted, accused by Satan. Why? Verse 3. Joshua was clothed 
with filthy garments and stood before the angel. The word filthy, as you have before you, is a strong word in the Hebrew. means human waste. That which is nasty, unclean, dirty, filthy. Something that has strong odours. And so in this vision, it gives the picture of Joshua standing before Christ. But his clothes are filthy from top to bottom. They've been stained. It's a horrible sight. They reek. It's a mass of filth. And that's interesting because the high priest's garments, they were holy garments of beauty and glory. As seen in uh, Exodus chapter 28 and Leviticus chapter 8. They were garments set apart for holy service. Yet in this vision, they are filthy. And remember, Joshua represents here not only himself, but also the nation. And therefore, we learn here that Joshua and the nation, in the eyes of the wicked one, are filthy. But the very fact that Joshua says nothing, the very fact that there's no argument from Joshua, shows that it is true. To say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. To say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar. And so Satan, his purpose is to proclaim to God that Joshua sins to symbolize the nation shows their unworthiness, uncleanness, filthiness, and they should be cast away. They should be thrown away. They should be removed just as human waste is. And Satan's accusation is right. Joshua is in filthy garments. Because if the Lord was to mark iniquity, none would stand. Remember the people, they had fallen into sin. They had abandoned the work. They had turned from the Lord. And so this is pictured by these filthy garments. A human waste, a mess. Something that we just normally get rid of. And Satan knows that God is holy. He's pure. Sin is an attack on who he is. And so as he looks at Joshua, symbolizing the nation, there is one who is impure. There is one who is filthy. Cast away Joshua. Cast away the nation. Because they don't deserve any of your mercy. Just throw them aside. Therefore, believer, there's application for our hearts as well. Because we said of the resister, the accuser, we are accused every single day. We are opposed by the wicked one. And the accusation is right. Because daily we come short of the glory of God. And there's every reason why God should Cast us away as human waste. Because in and of ourselves we are filthy. Our hearts are not right in the sight of God. We struggle with sin daily. There are inconsistencies, backslidings. Our hearts at times are cold as ice. And much more we could mention. And so here is Satan coming with this accusation. Even right now with your failures. With all your faults. 
He is accusing you before the throne of God of your filthiness, your unworthiness and that you should just be cast aside, throw them away. And he brings up everything that you've done in your past to accuse you. You're unfit to serve, unfit to pray, unfit for the blessing of God and left to Satan. All God's redeemed would perish. That's the point here. Left to Satan, Joshua would be cast aside. Left to Satan, there would be no hope for Israel in the future. They would just be cast aside, thrown aside, just as human waste, filthy garments, thrown away. But that's where we come to God's word. Because in this chapter we learn the Lord won't throw them away. And he can't throw them away because of his everlasting covenant of grace. Because of the blood, he cannot throw them away. Because of the blood, he will not cast you away with all your failures, with all your faults. And we let God down every single day. Maybe right now you're thin. Well, I haven't let the Lord down today. Well, you've just done it now. And so we let the Lord down day by day. And there's every reason why we should be cast away. But there's one reason why we can't. Because of redemption. Because of the covenant. And that's why Israel cannot be cast away. That's why God will save his people. Because of this covenant union. Because of the bond and blood. Again, Paul, this vision really summarizes what Paul says in his day. In Romans chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, referring to God's own people. Hath God cast away his people because that's the accusation that Satan saying they should be cast away just as waste thrown aside they're good for nothing unworthy unusable rotten hath God cast away his people God forbid for I am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin God hath not cast away his people which he, notice, foreknew. God had not cast away his people. Again, Paul there is a Jew. And so God, uh, in this section, Paul is writing of uh, future days. And Paul is showing that God has not cast away his people, nor will he cast away his people, because he has foreknown them. He has an elect among Israel. And therefore, all Israel, that remnant, According to the election of grace, they will be saved. They will not be cast away. Though Satan accuses them every day that they should. And so, believer, that ought to thrill your heart. Because the Lord gives on to his people eternal life. And they shall never perish away with this nonsense that you could be saved today and lost uh, later tonight. Or you could be get saved tonight and two hours down the road you'll be lost Away with that nonsense. Because the blood of Christ does not fail. And that's why Joshua can't be cast away. That's why there's a future still for Israel. That in, at the end here we will learn in that day what the Lord will do when he will remove their iniquity. Because God cannot cast away his people. And he'll not cast away you. Because the ground of his own precious blood. He's given on to his sheep eternal life. And they shall never perish. So why, while you have an accuser, as Joshua did, and as Israel 
had here in this chapter pointing towards them. You have an accuser. But also notice secondly, Joshua's advocate. Because we learn, the Lord said on to Satan, verse 2, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord hath chosen Jerusalem, rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? And so here is the accuser, accusing, resisting, opposing, should be cast away, filthy garments, unworthy to serve, unfit for prayer, unfit for office, unfit for his high priestly role, cast them away. But then the advocate speaks up, I rebuke you. And whenever the adversary uh, speaks, or whenever the advocate speaks, the adversary is silenced. Satan is rebuked by Christ. That word rebuke is a strong word. It means to be silent. It means to be quiet. It means to stop speaking. I don't want to hear any more. There are some who will translate the words just as shut up. That's how they will say that's the force, the strength of this word. Speak nothing anymore. You have nothing to say. Christ silences Satan's accusation because he compares his people as a brand plucked out of the fire. What is a brand? Well, it is a dry piece of wood. Can't be used for anything else other than to burn in the fire. It's a dry stick. A log, just fitted for burning. Can't be really used to make anything out of. Just uh, chuck it in to the fire. So the Lord symbolises his people as a brand. That which is uh, really, well, a brand plucked out of the fire. While Satan accuses them, the Lord says they are a brand plucked out of the fire. The word fire symbolises adversity, persecution, sin, coming judgment. And therefore this word pluck or to pluck out means to take out by force. Just as Satan is powerless to pluck any believer out of Christ's hand as John chapter 10 teaches. So Christ himself has all power to pluck sinners From the punishment of sin that awaits. The same language. This scene is recorded in Amos chapter 4 verse 11. That God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And ye were as a firebrand plucked out of the burning. And you know that occasion well. The city of Sodom and Gomorrah were under judgment. Destroyed by fire because of their sin. However, there was a small remnant of people whom God plucked out, who God delivered, Lot and his daughters. And so, before God sent judgment, he plucked them out. He saved a small remnant. They were as a brand plucked out of the fire. And so, since God spared his people, a remnant, As a brand out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And as a brand out of Babylon. The point is at the coming of Christ among the remnant. According to the election of grace. There will be 
a people as a brand plucked out of the fire, sparing them from eternal damnation, because the Lord hath chosen Jerusalem. He has an elect among his people, and they can never perish, and therefore they are as a brand plucked out of the fire. Here is God's sovereign election in choosing a people, a remnant for his own purpose, for his own glory. And that's why the Lord rebukes Satan. Be silent, no more. They should be cast away. They're filthy. Ah, be silent. They're a brand plucked from the fire. Oh yes, they deserve wrath. They deserve ruin. But I have plucked them out. I have delivered them. They are mine. I've chosen them. Therefore, any accusation against them is silent. Doesn't stand. It falls on deaf ears. There's nothing to bring against them. Therefore, child of God, the application to us, you and I, by nature, are a brand deserving of fire. All we are by nature is fire would fit for hell deserving of eternal wrath and ruin but a God according to his election of grace has been pleased to set his love upon a certain amount of sinners and to save those sinners and draw them to himself and therefore you can rejoice this day that you've been chosen in Christ you who are saved before the foundation of the world you are as a brand plucked out of the fire. You have been chosen by the Lord. You see, when someone plucks the brand out of the fire, if you were to lift a brand out of the fire, something stick out of the fire, your hands would be marked. Your hands would be burned. Your hands would uh, feel the flame. And so for Christ to pluck his people out of the fire... He endured that fire for them. He endured the marks of God's wrath on his body and his soul in order to set his people free. So while there is an accuser, while there is one who says they should be cast away, they're filthy, unfit for service, unfit to stand in your presence, yet we have one who is the advocate, one who stands for his people. One who says, I rebuke you, Satan. No more of this. Say nothing more. There's nothing to say. Because I have plucked them out. I've delivered them. I've brought them out of their sin. I have redeemed them. Because that leads us on to Joshua's acceptance. Which is verses 3 and 5. Which says, he answered. He uh, he answered and spake on... Oh, no, first three. And now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. And I said, Let him set a fair mitre upon his head, and set a fair mitre. Upon his head and clothed him with the garments, and the angel of the Lord stood by. Here is Joshua's acceptance. Basically, the accuser, 
the advocate. Why is Satan being silenced? Because Joshua has found acceptance. How did Joshua find acceptance with God? What was the cause of Satan's rebuke and silencing by Christ? It was because of a great exchange. Those filthy garments were removed. And new garments were put on. Those garments are called the righteous garments or the garments of salvation. Never forget, while Christ died for his people in time on earth. Yet in the mind of God, Christ is the lamb slain for sinners from the foundation of the world. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament pointed sinners towards Christ's redemptive work on the cross for their acceptance with God. That's why you have all the types, the shadows, the pictures. It was all pointing towards the cross. But after Calvary, we then look back to the cross, what Christ did do for our acceptance with God. And so in the Old Testament, they look forward to the cross, what Christ would do for them. We look back with a, the fact, to look back to the cross to see what Christ did for us, for our acceptance with God. And Christ's payment on the cross, therefore, is the central focus. You look forward to the cross, look back to the cross. It's always the cross in view. The cross must always be central in our preaching, in our praying, and in our praise. That's why Satan opposes. He resists because he hates the blood being exalted. He hates the blood being preached about. He hates the blood being prayed about. He hates the blood being praised because there's victory in the blood of Christ. It is the blood that maketh atonement for the soul. Again, Isaiah 61 verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me, covered me, with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments. And as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. You see, God is holy. And therefore cannot look upon sin. But God is also just and must punish sin. God's holiness must be honoured. And his justice must be satisfied. In order for sinners to be declared righteous. In order for sinners to have acceptance with God. For Joshua to have acceptance. For the people, Israel, the nation, to have acceptance as symbolised by Joshua. How can this be? Well, the answer is found in Jesus Christ by his sinless life, his substitutional death. He honoured God's holiness. He satisfied God's justice because he alone was without sin. And sin is a transgression of God's law. Sin is non-conformity to God's law. But Christ alone conformed to God's law. Christ alone obeyed God's law. He knew no sin. He did no sin. In him was no sin. He perfectly obeyed God's law. That means 
on the cross of Calvary. The perfect righteousness that Christ provided. All the rewards of his death, his obedience, his perfect life, his sacrificial death were accredited or imputed to the count of the believing sinner as if he obeyed the law. Whereas the sinner's filthy garments were accredited or imputed to Christ's account as if he was guilty of breaking God's law. The great transaction, he who knew no sin, became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And therefore God takes Christ's righteous garments, all that symbolizes by his work, his atonement, his life, his death, and places it upon that believing sinner. It would be like you tonight. Standing here in the clothes that you have on. The top, your suit, your jacket. You standing right here. And everybody looking at you in your clothes. And then me taking off my jacket. And then putting my jacket around you. What would you then see? You would no longer see that person in their clothes. You would see that person wearing my clothes. The clothes of another. And that's how God sees the one whom he hath clothed, whom he hath forgiven. He sees them, not in their sin, not in their filthiness, but he sees them through the righteousness, through his beloved son. When God looks upon his people, he sees them through his son. And the whole point is this. Joshua is filthy. should be cast away. But the advocate, Christ, rebukes him and says, No, when I see him, I see the blood. When I see him, I see him clothed in garments of beauty, clothed in my righteousness, clothed in my work that I have accomplished. I see him as one covered in the blood. And so Joshua's acceptance with God is through Christ to show that Israel's acceptance is in Christ. And they will never be cast away. That's why he silences Satan. And what a lesson that is for us, child of God. What a blessing that is. God looks at you through his beloved son. Because he and his people are one. Christ, God can never look at Christ without looking at his people. And he can never look at his people without looking at Christ. Because they are one. They can never be separate. And so as he looks upon his people, he sees us without spot, without blemish. Oh yes, in and of ourselves, we sin day by day. In and of ourselves, our garments are filthy. But when we come and there's cleansing, when there's forgiveness, there's cleansing beneath the precious blood. And therefore God looks upon us accepted in Christ. Though the accuser roar of ills that I have done, I know them well and thousands more. But Jehovah findeth none. He's put away our sin. Never to be remembered anymore. It's not that he's forgotten them. It's not he's put them somewhere to find them again. Rather he's chosen to remember them no more. And that's the picture here. Joshua. And the picture of a future day when the Lord comes back and 
All Israel shall be saved. He puts their sin away. They are saved with an everlasting salvation. Saved because they're clothed in the garments of Christ. Finally, Joshua's anticipation. Really verses 6 through to 10. Really in the closing verses of this vision we have really the return of the Lord. Joshua is filled uh, with expectation. Again you have there the angel of the Lord protested, witnessed unto Joshua saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If thou walk in my ways, if thou keep my charge, then thou shalt also judge my house, and thou shalt also keep my courts, and I will give thee places to walk among those that stand by. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant the branch. For behold the stone that I have laid before Joshua. Upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts. And I will remove the iniquity from that land in one day. In that day. So it's the same day. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, shall ye call every man his neighbour under the fine and under the fig tree. So we have these words. Joshua is filled with expectation for a future day when the Lord comes back. I will remove the iniquity in one day. Again, we learn in Zechariah 13 verse 1. In that day, the same day, there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. He will cleanse his people, cleanse the sin of his people, present them faultless before the throne. You have here, when the Lord comes back, there will be peace. Pray, pray for the peace of Jerusalem at present. They don't have peace. But one day when the Prince of Peace comes back. They will have peace. Because the fine and the fig tree. They are associated with peace. To sit under the tree is an expression of rest. Peace again. Micah chapter 4 verse 4. And 1 Kings chapter 4 verse 25. Judah and Israel dwelt safely. Every man under his fine and under his fig tree. From Dan even to Beersheba. All the days of Solomon. So these are symbols of rest. But this rest. This peace only comes. Through verse 8 says. The branch. A name for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 9. The stone. Another name. For the Lord Jesus Christ. The stone. The cornerstone. The chief stone. The rock of salvation. And so peace only comes. When the branch, the stone, returns. Peace only comes through faith in the cleansing blood of Christ. And so here we have Joshua standing before the Lord. And as Joshua, as we said, he symbolizes as he is cleansed. Symbolizing when the Lord comes back. The cleansing of the nation. That remnant. Those saved according to the election 
of grace. And as I said, there are many, many lessons and many more things we can go on. But for you, child of God, here tonight, what a day that will be when our Saviour returns. When we shall be forever with him, when we shall rule and we shall reign with him. We're looking forward to the coming of the Lord. We're looking forward to that time when we shall behold him and not another. But until then, note, you have an accuser. But rejoice, you have an advocate. You have acceptance with him. And therefore you can anticipate the day of the Lord's coming. When you will be with him. And you look forward to that time when you will enter into his presence. And into the blessed return uh, when he comes back. A lot more say we can say but uh, time say has gone there. But uh, do pray that the Lord will bless us and to continue to bless this word to our hearts. Let us unite together in prayer, then I'll hand it back to our dear brother. Uh, Father in heaven, we want to thank thee, O God, for cleansing in the precious blood. We want to thank thee, O God, that while, Lord, we are accused day by day, yet we have one who is our advocate. And Father, we thank thee, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We thank thee, O God, that because of his covenant, because of the blood of the everlasting covenant, we can never be cast away. And Father, we realise, O oh God, as we come to this passage tonight, we thank you, God, for the great hope there is even for the nation of Israel. We thank you, God, that thou hast not cast off thy people, whom thou hast foreknown. We thank you, God, thou still hast a purpose and a plan for them. And Father, we thank thee, O oh God, that will all be revealed, all fulfilled at the coming of thy beloved Son. Lord, give us help now to rejoice and to praise our God. In his name we pray. Amen.